Thanks for listening to the Toronto Legends podcast, powered by the Henderson Brewing Company, a locally owned, award-winning neighborhood brewery that celebrates Toronto's stories and culture. I am your host, Andrew Applebaum. My guest today is Wendy Mesley. Wendy is best known for her television journalism career with our national broadcaster, the CBC, serving from 1979 to 2021 in roles including national correspondent, weekend anchor for the national, and host of shows including Undercurrents, Disclosure, Marketplace, and The Weekly with Wendy Mesley. After retiring from the CBC, earlier this year, Wendy teamed up with veteran radio broadcaster Maureen Holloway to launch their podcast, Women of Ill Repute, welcoming a variety of women who are proud to be difficult and chatting with these sassy women about sex, family, politics, and the media. Welcome, Wendy, to Toronto Legends. Thank you for joining me. Where are you and how are you? <laughs> Hi, Andrew. Oh, it's so nice to meet you, sort of. I mean, this is how we meet people these days. That's right. Either COVID or virtual or whatever. That's where we... So I am actually... I'm in Prince Edward County, uh, which is sort of halfway between Montreal and Toronto, which is kind of me. I haven't decided whether I'm... Uh, I was born in Montreal, worked in Montreal for a few years, but I was raised and grew up in Toronto. Um, but now I live in Prince Edward County, so that's uh, so that's where I am. And yeah, and I'm not retired, so I'm only retired from CBC. Although you know what, everything is their fault, haha. Um, but they, uh, I was because they issued uh, something when I was supposedly retiring, saying that I was there from '79. But I wasn't. I was at I was at a CTV affiliate in 1979 for three years. So uh, CFCF, Canada's first, Canada's finest in Montreal, was the first job I had after Ryerson, and then. Uh, um, went to uh, CBC three years later. So, well, and CFTO, which was the Toronto affiliate of, uh, of CTV. So, yeah, so it was 82, I guess, before I went to, not, I mean, it's all ancient history. <laughs> yeah, well, we're going to go through it all, which is the great part of this. And, and we will, of course, clarify the record. I want to talk, first of all, I, I guess, give you a congratulations. You are now up to 15 episodes of your new podcast. How are you enjoying it? Um, it's a lot of work. It's, it's kind of wonderful. My co-host is Maureen Holloway, who I only met, you know, four or five years ago, uh, through somebody who, uh, through John Moore on CFRB, who used to be on a panel that I did at CBC. And he says, you just have to meet Maureen. And we met and we we're like, holy smokes, we've got so much in common. We've got kids the same age. We had cancer at the same time we had the same sort of starter job. Uh, we both went to Ryerson, uh, on and on and on and on and on. Our mothers died within a week of each other, just a whole bunch of, of overlapping issues. So it's, uh, um, it kind of started as a lark. We were just going to do six to eight episodes um, and sort of, you know, just explore the, the, the train a little bit. And here we are now going weekly. So I think we've, uh, we're booked until uh, mid-February with people that we admire for the most part in, in some way or another. We haven't. So it's women of ill repute, which really just means most women. <laughs> Most people, obviously, um, because everybody fights for something. So, and if they don't, then they're too boring to be on the show. <laughs> you were you were driven by a quote from comedy legend Lucille Ball, who once said, "I am not funny. What I am is brave." Yeah, yeah. No, it's funny. I think both Maureen and I think that we we're the ones who uh, ha have this thing about Lucille Ball, which is just another thing that that we share is a fixation on on people like her because there weren't like she was like she 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 was. She was funny and she was a performer, uh, but she was also a business person who made things happen. And uh, she fell in love probably with the wrong people at the wrong time, but uh, she got things done. And uh, yeah, she was she was pretty amazing. She was super, super clever. 
Now, Maureen Holloway was very used to sharing the microphone in, in her extensive radio career, but if the, for the most part, in your TV career, you had the mic to yourself. What's the sharing experience been like so far? <laughs> uh, well, it's good that I was raised by my mother, who was uh, ornery, because uh, <laughs> both Maureen and I can be a little bit ornery and a little bit pig-headed. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I've always worked as part of a team of, of you know, of wonderful people, but I never sort of like shared an actual story with somebody. Uh, whatever stories that I did... Um, were basically written by me and reported by me and I had lots of help putting them together and but everyone kind of um, did did their thing their their part of it um, and now it's like oh I wonder what Maureen will think or I'm doing this oh she didn't see it exactly the same way as I did so it's uh, she's a comedian I'm a very serious journalist mm-hmm. so we had to you know we sort of started with this joke of uh, uh, our podcast is is sort of a uh, a comedian and a journalist walk into a bar, um, <laughs> and it all sort of flows from there. So it's yeah, so it's 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 been a uh, a different learning experience. It's almost like therapy, I suppose, yeah. because in the past it's always been people who have different skills or people who are brand new to the career, and I'm like I'm the the veteran teaching them something. Mm-hmm. Whereas now we're we're two equals. We're trying to we're, we're sharing so yeah it's it's been a big experience well this podcast toronto legends we we love to go behind the scenes see how the sausage gets made what is the process and timeline of putting together a single episode of women of ill repute well it's changed a little bit uh we've now uh we have uh yet belgraver who was a producer at cbc and then went to al jazeera and now is um, doing various projects. Um, uh, one of them is helping us a lot with the chase. So we used to do all of the chase until yet came along. Uh, Maureen records them um, from her. She lives in Toronto. I live in Prince Edward County. She records the the guest who miraculously appears vir- virtually. Um, but beforehand, we've we've read the books. We've done the research. We've done uh, until yet came along a couple of weeks ago to help us out. We did all of the chase um, and we. Were write newsletters for Substack. So it's, uh, Maureen calls it a jobby, but it's sort of a halfway between a job and a hobby, but it's kind of become <laughs> more of a, more of a job as we've gone weekly, which is okay if we were to make any money, but we've just decided now that it's time to actually make some money. So we're, yes. we're actually being upfront about that, which is very different than being at CBC and uh, you never have anything to do with the sales department. Where I can't. All of a sudden, I am the sales department. <laughs> well, I was going to say you can't imagine. It's a polar opposite of CBC. Now, not that you need my validation, but uh, if I may, Wendy, I'm going to share the statistic with you that will make you feel great about your podcast Ooh. prospects. 90% of podcasts don't get past episode number three. Of the 10% of podcasts that do get past three episodes, 90% of those will quit after 20 episodes. Therefore, to be in the top 1% of all podcasts, you only need to publish 21 episodes. And you're at 15, you're obviously well on the way. Now, this, of course, doesn't pay the electricity bill, but it gives both you and I hope. Uh, yeah, it's amazing. I mean, we have um, a lot of people, we have quite an influential audience. I can't uh, tell you how many times I've run into people like Lisa Laflamme. I got in touch with her after the whole the big mess at CTV happened, and she was like, "Oh, I listen to your podcast all the time. It's so great." And I said, "Come on on," and she's like, "Ah, not not yet. Uh, eventually." Um, but yeah, we have quite an influential audience, so it's it's time to 
you know, we would like to like actually pay people um, to, to help us to, to do stuff, um, let alone make any money ourselves for working 20, 30, 40 hours a week. Yeah. So uh, we'll, we'll get there. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's a brave new world. Absolutely. The Toronto Legends podcast is powered by the Henderson Brewing Company, a locally owned, award-winning neighborhood brewery that celebrates Toronto's stories and culture, just like this podcast. As the days get shorter, for a limited time, you can enjoy their gold medal winning export stout, available now at their tap room and retail store at 128A Sterling Road along the West Toronto Rail Path. Or order now at hendersonbrewing.com. Henderson Brewing and the Toronto Legends Podcast, a great local partnership. Well, let's go back to look at the whole story of Wendy Mesley. With your permission, we're going to go all the way back. Where were you born and describe your upbringing? So I was born in Montreal, uh, but didn't stay there very long because my mom married a guy uh, who uh, homosexuality in those days was uh, was a crime, and you went to, so you you got married and you went to therapy. Only guess what? <laughs> uh, you don't become ungay. You yeah. you are who you are, and so the marriage didn't work. And uh, so at about <clears throat> nine or ten months, um, my mom and my dad were from Toronto. Um, so my mom hightailed it with me back to Toronto, but it took her forever to get a, um, to get a divorce, um, from, from him. Um, and so I was raised by a single mom because by the time she started dating at 34 or whatever, there weren't a lot of guys left. So I was raised by a single mother in a broken home, which mm-hmm. to me was fabulous. Um, cause I really love my mom and, uh, she was, uh, I, Certainly never felt like I was in a broken home, even though I did feel a little bit apart from everybody else who had brothers and sisters and fathers and whatever. But uh, yeah, so I came back to Toronto, uh, went to, uh, we moved around a lot. So we started out, because my mom had no money. Um, so we started out uh, having like shared uh, an apartment and then we had a tenant in an apartment and then we shared again and then finally we got our own first apartment right across the street from the mall um, and everybody else lived in mansions so I have like a massive chip on my shoulder about rich people mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> um, so we moved a lot until my grandmother died and then we moved into a duplex with my grandfather and um, uh, and I went to uh, a high school in North Toronto. Where'd you and, go? And uh, Lawrence Park. All right. Yeah. So uh, where everybody was uh, was white, and everybody married the boy next door. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So it was. Uh, it's it's not like that anymore. I think Toronto has changed a lot. Thank goodness. But uh, but it, it wasn't. Uh, it was it was a world that I enjoyed while I was there, but it wasn't really my world. And from Lawrence Park, you went on to study journalism at Ryerson Polytechnical Institute, now TMU. What was that experience like at Ryerson for you? I knew I wanted to be a journalist, and I was, as of grade 13, I was already working in radio at uh, Chum and Chin and then CKFM and CFRB, sort of private radio stations. So I had all of these jobs, and I knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to be Barbara Frum, um, who used to be the host of As It Happens and then the journal on CBC. Um, and then died of cancer young. Um, so I, I had, I had it all figured out what I wanted to do, but my mom was like, you have to get a degree. And before that I'd done well in school and, you know, could have basically done whatever. Um, and so I said, okay, well, I'll go to Ryerson and I'll do this journalism thing. 
and I'll get a degree. And that was all great. Uh, working 40 hours a week and getting a degree until I came to third year and I failed advanced reporting. Oh boy. <laughs> so I had, I had, I left Ryerson. I had a job uh, with uh, CTV in Montreal, but, uh, but I had 31 out of 32 credits and I was like, mom, it doesn't matter. It was just like, I was just doing it for you anyway. And then yeah. of course they kept inviting me back to give speeches and stuff and uh, introducing me as a Ryerson grad. And I was like, no, 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 never graduated. <laughs> anyway. Where does that stand now? Do you, you still need well, that 30-second credit? Yeah. Well, they said pay 50 bucks and challenge the credit. So I paid 50 bucks and now I'm a graduate. Hey, all right, Wendy. <laughs> yeah, I know it's kind of bogus, but whatever. I think you're uh, 99% of the way there. You earned it. <laughs> now, you talked about some of your summer jobs. You... you CBC and CTV both offered you jobs. You opted to start with CTV affiliate CFCF in Montreal. Yeah. However, in 1981, you found yourself shifting to CBC. You relocated to Quebec City, becoming a legislative reporter for CBC. You covered the first referendum on sovereignty. That must have been uh, like, that's big, that's big stuff. Yeah, well, back at Ryerson, um, they used to, maybe they still do, but I think you need a few more degrees than the one I was hoping to get um, at that point. Um, but I was offered a job with CBC in Regina or with CTV in Montreal just before the referendum. And I was like, Regina might be cool, but there's a referendum and this is so, it's like being a foreign correspondent. So I thought, well, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll go there. And it was a summer job. So I ended up going to CFCF. Um, and I didn't speak French. I lied. They said, do you speak French? And I'm like, la plume de ma tante, you know, how's that? And uh, yeah, they sent me out to cover the first, not to be their prime correspondent, obviously, but I remember walking along the streets of Montreal um, with uh, people who had voted yes, who had just lost a referendum, and they were breaking doors down and smashing windows and stuff. And I thought, wow, this is so cool. This is yeah. maybe the closest I'll ever get to being a foreign correspondent. I know. I hope they don't realize that I'm la plume de ma tante. But uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, I, I event by the time I moved to Quebec City, I was speaking a fair bit of French, and then I stayed there for three or four years and and became pretty much fluent. I've lost some of it now, but yeah. uh, but I still speak French. Now, in 1985, you moved to Ottawa. You became parliamentary correspondent for CBC's The National. You were the first woman in CBC TV's National Bureau to cover a prime minister. Yeah. I mean, when I started it, uh, my first job was answering phones at CHUM when I was in grade 13, which existed in those days. And they used to say that women's voices are not authoritative enough to tell you the news. And I was mm. like, well, if you've never heard one, well, yeah, hello. So um, things changed rapidly by the time I got to, uh, um, I guess while I was in Quebec City and just on the verge of going to Ottawa, I find that the, the, the heavens opened and uh, women were given the same opportunities as their predecessors who had been in Quebec City and had you know, three or four years experience as, as a reporter um, covering politics um, and who speak another language. And anyway, was given the same opportunities. But arriving in, in Ottawa, there weren't very many women. And uh, there were issues of people who were expected to do things to get certain stories. And that never happened to me, thank goodness. But um, um, but but yeah, things have things have changed a lot. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. Now, Wendy, over your career, you had lots of various roles at CBC, frequent contributor and eventual anchor of Sunday Report, 
You filled in regularly on the anchor desk of the National. You co-created and co-hosted the Media Watchdog series Undercurrents and the news magazine Disclosure. You were a three-time Gemini Award winner and in 2006 were named by ACTRA as the recipient of its John Draney Award for Lifetime Achievement in Canadian Broadcasting. That must have been a fantastic experience. Yeah, I don't know how old I was when they started calling me a veteran journalist. And I was like, <laughs> oh, no, it was like being on your show. I'm a legend. What does that mean? I'm like uh, 107. Oh, no. <laughs> no, it was kind of a big deal. I was going through, I had just finished uh, chemotherapy uh, when I got that John Durini Award, which was kind of a big deal. Uh, and I remember uh, I went out and there was this fabulous dinner and there were these union people who took me out for dinner because they were giving me the John Draney Award. And I was like so exhausted. And I was like, OK, I know it's like a thousand dollars a plate for this dinner and that this is a big deal for you. But I'm so tired. I just uh, anyway, I, uh, I don't I don't think I was uh, I don't think I was a lot of fun. But yeah, it was uh, it was a it was a pretty cool experience. Yeah, for sure. Now, in January 2018, you started hosting a new Sunday morning talk show on politics and media called The Weekly with Wendy Mesley. Things are going fabulous. However, June 9th, 2020, you were suspended from The Weekly for saying the N-word in reference to the book White Ends of America, written by Pierre Valliere, while you were hosting an editorial meeting about race issues. You immediately apologized. Fast forward one year and you announced your retirement from the CBC on July 5th, 2021. Two days later, you wrote an opinion piece in our national newspaper, The Globe and Mail, that was entitled, I made mistakes, but my departure wasn't the solution to the CBC's problem with racism. This piece went on to detail the issues leading up to your retirement from the CBC. While you did concede to having made a serious error by using the offensive term, the N-word, in editorial meetings on two occasions, once in 2019, again in 2020, you indicated that your additional mistake was entrusting CBC management to manage the story appropriately. You felt that the punishment administered by management was disproportionate, given that on both occasions, your use of the word was not malicious. Wendy, I am not a journalist. You have graciously agreed to be my guest on this podcast. I will leave it to you to comment further or move on. No, I'm, I, I think it's... Uh... You know, the use of the N-word has become a, a huge debate or, or a huge issue. Um, and I have certainly learned from the, the basically what happened. There were, there were two ins instances. One was uh, I was doing a, a panel for the weekly uh, and I was on a phone call with a bunch of producers uh, or a couple of producers. And uh, we were arranging a panel where one of the panelists was... Um, had uh, a young black woman um, said that she was repeatedly called the N-word. And we were, I was outraged by this and wanted to talk about this and we were kicking the can around about how to, what, on the phone and what to do. And it was just in the wake of George Floyd had just been murdered by uh, the police in the States. And it was, it was a huge, huge, huge issue. And anyway, I used the full word not I didn't just say n-word I said the full word and I immediately realized that I'd hurt people um and I apologized right away and I apologized afterwards but like there is no excuse for what I've learned a little too late is that there's no excuse there's no context that's acceptable I don't think for using that for using that word if it hurts people or is seen by people to hurt them the other instance was I was upset about a bill bill 21 in Montreal which is basically saying that 
people, whether it's the hijab or something other than the cross, is worn um, in an ostentatious way or... Uh, it could be a skull cap, could be anything, uh, but people are not allowed to have positions of working for the government and an authority um, if they're wearing a garb of, of their religion. So we were doing a panel on this. I thought it was inappropriate, but I also found it really interesting that the whole history of of Quebec's involvement uh, as seeing itself, of Francophones seeing themselves as the true underdogs um, in their relationship with Anglophones. And I, I anyway, so... You know, with all my great experience as a Montreal and Quebec City reporter, I wanted to talk about this, and I talked about Pierre Valliere, and the title of his book involves the whole word in English and in French. Uh, and and we've seen from the CRTC and Radio-Canada and CBC that they there are different approaches to what is acceptable and what is not acceptable in that whole world, word. So... Um, anyway, I've learned a lot. I think that the world has uh, learned a lot about, uh, and people make their own decisions about whether using that word is, is appropriate in some context or not. But for me, I don't think it is appropriate. Um, but I also very much stand by what I, the piece that you mentioned for the, that I wrote about the CBC, that, you know, I was old and expensive and they wanted me to uh, do a new show, which I thought meant working 40, 50, 60 well, not 40, but working 50, 60 hours a week, which is kind of normal when you're starting out in, in this business. But I didn't want to do that anymore. And uh, I think they had problems with uh, accusations by their own staff of systemic racism. And I think they threw me under the bus. I think they used me as as an excuse to say, uh, well, we got rid of the racists, so we're fine. But uh, anyway, I'm, I... Uh, I, I, I didn't appreciate it. I don't think they needed to use me the way that they did. Well, you don't know me. I don't know you. I also thought you got thrown under the bus. And I do have a quote from, from your former colleague, CBC reporter Neil MacDonald. He sums up the disgust. Wendy is one of the most decent journalists I know and was taken off the air after her own colleagues went after her for quoting someone else's offense. And now the far left and the far right are fist pumping. So glad I, Neil MacDonald, left CBC. Any other thoughts or uh, we'll move on? Well, Neil, Neil is, uh, and he's married to uh, Joyce Napier, uh, who is the CTV bureau chief. Uh, Neil and Joyce have are really good friends. Neil and I worked together many years ago uh, in Ottawa, actually, um, when we were like child reporters when we were in our twenties. Um, and I remember when he met Joyce, and uh, Neil is somebody who, uh, unlike many of my other colleagues says what he believes about things and uh so I, I didn't talk to him that was the hardest part of the the whole thing that happened at cbc was that for a year i was being investigated um and you know and i was punished and uh, went without pay and uh um was uh involved in all kinds of discussions with all kinds of people about what to do and what not to do and i i felt like i couldn't talk to anybody so i didn't talk to neil for or anybody for a year it hmm. was it was horrible for somebody who was raised by, you know, my ornery mother to fight for myself, I, uh, I didn't feel that I was in a position to fight for myself until a year later when I, when I, when I quit. Well, and now, of course, you're on to this excellent new chapter with the podcast. I did, Wendy, want to talk to you about your ornery mother, your late mother, Joan. <laughs> in May of this year, you published an opinion piece, again, in our national newspaper, The Globe and Mail, entitled, Why Am I a Woman of Ill Repute? Thank my mother. 
Yeah, Why or blame my it? mother. <laughs> and blame your mother. Why did you write it, Wendy? Um, well, I originally wrote it, well, she died um, about two years ago. And uh, we were very, very close. And uh, so a lot of it was an obit um, for her. Um, and they, they ran the piece, uh, the Global Mail ran the piece on Mother's Day because she was my mother. And, uh, and, and also it was, I guess, she was suffering from dementia uh, for the last year, year or two, more than that, but seriously, the last year or two. Um, so she never could really understand what had happened to me and CBC because we'd grown up together. It sounds kind of weird, but um, we were very, very close. And we used to listen to, as it happens with Barbara Frum, we used to listen to CBC radio all the time. And so she, I think she found it really, really difficult to understand what had happened to me uh, in the end. But um, yeah, so I wanted to, I wanted to write a piece that honored her, but also that sort of uh, reclaimed who I am because I, I know part of the process that I went through, I can't even remember what they officially call it, but it's kind of a, a rethink program that they make you go through it. Uh, at, at CBC, um, uh, and so they bring in an outside diversity expert, and and he was like, "Well, tell me what happened." And I told him what happened, and I told him my story, and and he was like, "Yeah, I, I, I don't get it. Like, you're you're an underdog. Like, why? Mm. You, you like nobody knows your your story." So I mean, part of it was to part of it was to basically say this is who I am and this is who raised me and and I and I'm a lot like her for for good and and ill so yeah Maureen and I are both uh ornery sassy uh <laughs> women um who try and you know here I am echoing my mom try and make the world a better place but yeah. it doesn't doesn't always work and you're not always appreciated for it because people have their own views and their own opinions about things what was the feedback you got from that piece you wrote about your mom uh, well, it was funny. A friend of mine, because um, I still have a lot of friends at CBC, he's there and uh, reached out and said, "Oh my God, you know, I've been watching all of the comments because there, there were hundreds of comments on the on the thing, not so much at CBC, but just in the world, uh, Canadian world. There's not like a single one saying, yeah, but you're an asshole.' It was all just sort of saying, "Wow, it's really nice to understand your story and what you went through." And your mom sounds like an amazing person. And oh, here's a story about my mom mm. and what it, what what it must have been like in in those days as a, as a single mom to try and establish a career and try and have a life for yourself and uh, you know marrying a gay man and to try and figure out how to. Uh, how how to move on and how to have a life on on your own, um, which she managed um, imperfectly, like the rest of us. Yeah, well, you obviously had a lot of admiration for your mother. I want to also ask you about your admiration for the journalist Barbara Frum, as you've already <laughs> indicated. You wanted to be Barbara Frum. Talk about Barbara Frum and her meaning to you. Well, I'm just having a flashback moment because I her son uh, David Frum. Uh, who I think is famous for a few things, one of which is uh, helping to come up with the evil empire uh, slogan for George Bush. The, the evil uh, access. Evil access, yes, thank you, evil access. Um, anyway, he was a, a commentator who uh, 
I guess he's sort of anti-Trump but pro-Republican. He lives in the States and uh, uh, writes for The Atlantic and a number of other outlets and is, you know, is an interesting voice. So I, I used to have him on uh, once in a while uh, when I was at CBC. And at one point, he I don't know whether he was there for the show I was working on or another show, but he was in the green room. And, and I said, you know what? Your mom was such, she was like a second mom to me because I used to listen to her every night and she was huge. And then when I ended up working for the National in Ottawa and other places and Meech was happening and I talked to your mom on the on the air, uh, but we always lived in different cities and she was a little bit intimidating. I never, I never told her just how much she had meant to me um, and that I just, you know, I aspired to be like her. We can talk about why because there are reasons. Um, and he said something that really stuck with me well, it obviously didn't stick well enough, was that uh, the importance of words. That his mom always said, be careful with your words, because whatever you say is what sticks and what matters. And I thought that that was his message to me, and that was way before the whole N-word thing happened. And I and I should have, I should have, uh, I should have paid way more attention, way more attention instead of just assuming that people would know that I was fighting for the right thing, because nothing is is ever that clear. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, it's, it's great that it sounds like you were able to have a relationship with, with Barbara from and, and benefit from her uh, counsel, so to speak. Well, only from a distance because I, I never had a private conversation with her. Um, but, the, but listening to her, I learned so much because there were other sort of, there was a few other famous women um, in those days, there weren't very many famous women in broadcasting, uh, but there were a few, and I just thought they were kind of blowhards, like their questions were more important than the answers, whereas yeah. Barbara was always like, really? And then what happened? <laughs> or, or, wow, yeah, but they say you're an asshole, but why aren't you an asshole? It's like she would just get to the point, and it wasn't about this long-winded question. It was about getting to the story, and I just... Uh, that's what I so admired about her. And she loved to laugh, too. So it was... Yeah. Uh, and, and Maureen is... Uh, I do the podcast with Maureen, and Maureen loves to laugh. And it's, it's, it's really important, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I wonder if you had any kind of relationship with Barbara's daughter, Linda Frum. Uh, neither here nor there, but she, uh, Linda Frum became famous uh, just as I was considering university. She had written that famous book. It was the guide to all the party schools and everything. Uh, and had yet any relationship with Linda Frum and kind of able to express your, how you felt about her mom. She interviewed me once where I made some joke. She, I guess I was in Ottawa. It was before she became a senator. And she interviewed me and she said I was sort of famous for scrumming people or asking inappropriate questions or whatever. <laughs> how surprising. And, um, and she said, so how do you succeed in the scrums? And I made up about wearing high-heeled shoes and spiking people with my stilettos. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, which she took seriously. And then it went into the book as a serious thing, as if you could ever wear stilettos in, in those things. But, uh, no, she reached out after the... The, um, well, she didn't reach out, but she tweeted um, that, you know, that there's more than one way to learn about love and that, because uh, I wrote about uh, Barbara Frum in the piece about about being a woman of ill repute and that, um, and that it was, the, yeah, anyway, she just, uh, maybe I didn't write about Barbara, but anyway, I wrote about how my mom had taught me there's more than one way to love and Linda reached out to say, yes, there is more than, there is more than one way, but it was her book. It was not the book about the, um, uh, that you're <laughs> mentioning about colleges. Yeah, it was something she'd written about uh, journalists and about, well, maybe it was a biography of her mom or it was a story about her mom and in it she wrote how, her mom was always working and that she really missed that because she wasn't there as much for her kids. And I remember going to my mom and saying, 
oh, mom, thank you for always being there for me because, you know, you might have you might have worked and you might have taken extra courses and you because she ended up being like sort of one of the top, if not the top physio in Canada. Um, but thank you so much for always being there for me. And, and unlike Barbara Frum, I've read about in this book, and it sounds like her daughter really missed her. And she goes, honey, if I'd had the chance to be Barbara Frum and be on the journal and as it happens, I would have ditched you in a second. And I'm like, oh, well, so much for, for that bubble. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Wendy, I want to ask you about podcasting. I don't know how new podcasts were to you. Like COVID kind of introduced certainly myself to podcasts. What podcast do you listen to or are you too busy? Well, I realized with podcasts, uh, like life is short and I got a lot of other things in my life. So um, when I'm in the car or if I'm doing a chore, I'll listen to a podcast and I tried out a whole bunch of them. Um, and I really, there were, I, I realized that if they're not good enough to be my friends and to amuse me or uh, inspire me around the dinner table, then I don't want to listen to their podcast with one big exception, which is Smartless. So I think they're a bunch of assholes from, uh, from uh, Hollywood, um, but they're funny. So yeah. yeah, so it's, I guess it's my guilty pleasure. I, I, I listen to Smartless with Jason Bateman and Will Arnett and Sean Hayes. Um, uh, well, they certainly get good guests. They just had biden on but i gotta tell you i gave up on that when they're just fawning too much and they're talking over each other and i i, I gave up on them myself well i'm kind of uh, that's one of uh, maureen's complaints about me is that i talk over everybody because i'm a little hyper <laughs> and i get excited and uh, well yeah what about this um but yeah i do i share your sense of they love everybody afterwards it's all oh i loved him i love and and they'll never ask any difficult questions about anything. No. So it's, it's easier to get people on if they know you're just going to say, I love you. <laughs> That's certainly one way. Do you listen to your own podcast, Wendy? Uh, I hate listening to myself. Um, I, I used to say that um, on television, you could tell the people who'd like spent too much time looking at themselves um, because it just became like, do I look better? Which is my side? And I'll just uh, cozy up to the camera this way. And does it, you know, <laughs> yeah. so, uh, and, and the blowhard questions. Um, but on the podcast, like we have mic issues and there are issues of uh, editing where I'm interrupting or where we're moving something around a little bit or we're trimming here or where, or adding a, a bit of music. So it is a good idea to listen to, but I, I still... If I don't have to, I don't. <laughs> okay. um, yeah, and I still find it painful, but uh, but probably <laughs> worthwhile. I always find it interesting that uh, I'm thinking, I guess, more of uh, Hollywood actors. They're famous for being humble and saying, oh, no, I never watch my own movies. I can't stand to see myself. But uh, sure enough, the Samuel L. Jackson, he's come out and stated that he only watches himself in movies. <laughs> he actively searches them out. And in fact... Uh, he only rewatches his parts. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, that sounds really boring, actually. I think less of him now. I'm not saying I love you, Samuel. It is time for Internet True or False, Wendy. I like uh -oh. to go to the source and clarify things. When you were 10 years old, Wendy Mesley accompanied her mother, Joan, to the U.S. consulate to picket in support of Martin Luther King Jr. Internet True or False? Uh, that's true. It was, uh, I'm not sure of the actual year, but I, I do very much remember that. My mom was uh, quite an activist and involved in a lot of uh, charities and um, basically raised me to believe that uh, people are people 
and uh, that we all, whether you're um, black or white or um, uh, Catholic or Jewish, it, like it really doesn't really make any difference. You have to judge people by their character. And um, so, yeah, I mean, she wasn't like a huge activist because she um, liked to ski and she had a real job and she had family. Um, <laughs> but uh, I do remember uh, the uh, picketing in front of the... Um, I guess it would be the consulate, the American consulate in uh, Toronto, uh, about Selma. And um, yeah, my mom was involved in a lot of uh, different causes, but I, I remember, I remember that one very, very clearly. I got one more here for you. Wendy Mesley's deepest, darkest secret is that she was a cheerleader. Internet, oh, true yeah. or false? Uh, uh, Refuse to answer. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. We will we will take the no comment. <laughs> You've been so I know great Maureen thinks that that's like why why don't you talk about that and she keeps bringing it up and I'm like no I don't that's not <laughs> no that's not something that I'm proud of and I never told anybody that and then Maureen thought that was hilarious so uh, um, yeah okay well we'll leave it at that <laughs> I want to thank you for your time today and, and as we close off I want to ask if you are active on social media. Yes. So now it seems like everybody's getting off of Twitter. So I got to figure out what I'm going to do with that. But <laughs> yep. uh, yeah, I've been, uh, yeah, I'm not that I, I've, I've got to get on TikTok because I think it's really cool. Yep. Um, but I'm not. Um, Instagram, I think is amazing. And I keep saying I'm going to get more involved, but I don't. I'm pathetic. Um, I'm kind of okay on uh, on Twitter where I've got 20 odd thousand uh, followers. But maybe, you know, maybe they're all clones and maybe Elon Musk will fi fix all of that and I'll have four. So, uh, or not. Or maybe I'll leave Twitter because I'm not a big Elon Musk fan these days. But uh uh, I think social media is both horrible and evil uh, and wonderful and inspiring. So it's, uh, I could argue both sides of that one. Well, it certainly continues to evolve. We're going to see the future of uh, how we capture our feedback and what's out there. Where can we best follow you, Wendy, and your podcast, Women of Ill Repute? So there's two places. We uh, write for Substack. Uh, and we usually link to the latest episode. So it's women of ill repute uh, or substack.womenofillrepute. Um, and our website is uh, womenofillrepute.com. So you can go there and you can subscribe to everything and, and uh, listen to a podcast. And you can see the, uh, we're now 15 episodes. Yep. Um, uh, and you can, or you can just go to Apple or Spotify or wherever you normally get your podcast and, and find us because we're a huge hit. We're not making any money. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but apparently we're quite successful and we have a very influential audience. So uh, at some point we're going to cash in and make some money. Absolutely. I don't need to tell you. When you're passionate as you are, the money will come. Well, I want to thank you so much for your time. It was great to meet you and hear everything about your career and what you're working on now. And I wish you continued success. Thank you, Andrew. And the same to you. It's been uh, It's been fun. Thank you. My pleasure. And to the listeners, we thank you for listening to this episode of the Toronto Legends podcast, powered by Henderson Brewing Company. And on behalf of Wendy Mesley, I am Andrew Applebaum saying mahalo.
looking to make the most out of this life and optimize your personal wellness? Then check out the Natural Man podcast. Join me, host Mike C., as we explore all areas of human wellness, physical, mental, and emotional. Learn strategies to optimize your own well-being and be in the driver's seat of your own health. Remember, your doctor works for you. Learn biohacks, neurohacks, ways to improve sleep, and ways to optimize your body and your mind. Check us out on Apple, Spotify, the Fountain app, and at naturalmanpodcast.com. Hi, this is Candace Sampson, the voice behind What She Said. My show is your destination for stories that not only entertain, but also educate and empower. Every week, I spotlight strong female voices from across Canada, women who are changing the narrative and driving change. Don't miss out on these inspiring episodes. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and Amazon Music, or head over to whatshesaidtalk.com. What She Said can also be heard on blasttheradio.com, Mondays at 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. That's blasttheradio.com. It's time to dive into the stories that truly matter.